proud of these young people this morning. Two of them happen to live with me. They're pretty messy too, but you know. We're gonna keep on in our sermon series out of Esther this morning. We're gonna keep doing the series Take Courage. Now more than ever, we need to take courage. Um, before I begin to preach this morning, you have most likely heard by now that um, Betty Morris Roach has gone on to be with the Lord and um, has made it to where she was wanting to go. And to be absent, that's right, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's right, she probably is, is probably danced a few jigs by now and probably, you know, the old song says, I'm going to stroll all over heaven. She's probably ran all over heaven, hasn't she? And she's where she wants to be. And I thank the Lord for that. Uh, her family is heartbroken, of course. Her church family and friends heartbroken. On the same token, we rejoice to know that she has made it to heaven and there is no ALS in heaven, nothing but a glorified body. And she told us many times she knew what was coming with her disease and she knew she was going to lose movement in all of her body and she was getting pretty close to that. She knew she was going to lose her voice and that was starting to happen and God had mercy on her and he took her on and now she will never suffer again. I thank God for that. Amen. And that's what we have to look forward to as children of God. And so her visitation will be tomorrow, Monday, from four to six here at the church and then her funeral will be on Tuesday here at the church at 1 p.m. So those are the arrangements uh, for her family. Keep them in prayer. Anthony, Lisa, the grandchildren, uh, Ferlin, her husband, keep them all in prayer, please, and hold them up during this time. I want to preach this morning. Take courage. Take courage. And the sermon title from this series is Tug of War. Tug of War. I, I put that on the screen. There were a lot of pictures of actual people doing tug of war, but I thought, let's just soften the mood and we'll put a few dogs up there. How about that? That are playing tug of war. Have you ever participated in, show me by hand, have you ever participated in a tug of war contest? Oh, a lot of you, a lot of you. Maybe at youth camp or uh, maybe in a PE class. Uh, somewhere in a gymnasium somewhere. I don't know, maybe you just go home every Sunday afternoon and you and your family get out in the yard and play tug of war. I don't know, <laughs> probably not, right? Do you ever feel like life, life, living life, do you ever feel like life feels like a tug of war? Does anybody ever feel that way? We feel like we're being pulled this way, we're resisting and we're pulling back and, and forth. You know, life really is in a lot of ways like tug of war. We are on one end, on one side, we're tempted to sin. Aren't we tempted sometimes to sin? Tempted to do the wrong things, tempted to compromise, tempted to do and live the way of the enemy. And then on the other side, we are called by God and, and invited by God to live righteously. And we're always seemingly pulling while we're in this house of flesh we're being tugged back and forth. There are competing interests. There are competing, let me say it this way that's even better. There are competing forces. We have the Holy Spirit on one side and we have evil, even evil spirits on the other side and they are fighting for our lives. They are fighting for our minds and for how we live. There's a tug of war. 
On one side, God has a plan for you. If you believe that, say amen. God has a plan for you. On the other side of the tug of war, the enemy, Satan, the devil, has a plot for you and me. So I'm living this life right now. You are living this life right now. And we live in the middle of this tug of war. God's plan for our lives over here. The enemy's plot against our lives over here. And those things are vying to try to win out in our lives. Do you know the enemy's plot is real? He plays for keeps. He, he is serious. And, and if there are times in your life when you feel like you're under attack, you probably are under attack. The enemy means business. We have got to come to grips, even as children of God, and understand that there is a real devil. There is a real Satan. There is real evil. And there's plots and schemes against us. But we also must come to that reality to know that over here, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We are more than conquerors through Christ. We are overcomers through Christ. The, the Bible talks about us going from glory to glory or from victory to victory. And with Christ on our side, we will win the tug of war contest. But this really sums it up. Bringing it down to a practical level, our personal choices play into this tug of war, don't they? Our lifestyle choices play into this tug of war. How we choose to spend our days, how we choose to spend our time, the patterns, if you will, of our lives play into this tug of war. We talked last week about God gave us free will, didn't he? And so I'm preaching to us this morning and to myself as well, the decisions that I make, practically speaking, how I spend my time, play into this tug of war and play into how victorious I'm going to be in Christ. Look at John 10, 10. It sums up this tug of war much better than I could. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus said the thief. He's talking about Satan here. There, there's many adjectives that he uses about Satan. A liar, a thief, a destroyer. The thief does not come except to steal. Let me put it more in our words. He only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Don't ever think that the path of sin is going to bring you anything else but these three things, steal, kill, and destroy. It is a lie of the enemy. Young people who are here this morning, maybe watching online, hear this preacher today. The path of sin, the path that the enemy would like for you to take will only lead to death, destruction, and things being stolen from your life. The enemy presents himself as so appealing. The ways of, of sin can look so glamorous. Doesn't the world glamorize sin? Doesn't television and internet glamorize sin and it's, and it's all a ha, ha, ha and a big kick and a funny. I wanna tell us this morning, sin is not a big ha, ha, ha. Sin is not a big kick. Sin is death and destruction. And that's the only result that will come from sin. And the enemy wants to steal the purpose and the plans that God has for our lives. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy our families, but I'll... I read the rest of the scripture. 
You say, Pastor, well, why don't you read it to us too? Let's look at it. Jesus said this. Jesus said, but I have come that they may have life. Somebody say that word, life. I have come that they may have life not just have life, but that they may have life more abundantly. I don't know about you, but on my side of the tug of war rope, I want Christ over here with me. I want the Holy Spirit over here with me because my life doesn't have to be mediocre. My life can be abundant in Christ. Oh, I'm not preaching and saying abundant necessarily in material things, but abundant in his joy and in his peace, and his grace, and in his mercy, the things that really count, and that really matter, and that really satisfy us on the inside. You see, for me, and I pray and I hope for you as well this morning, I choose to live, I choose by my free will that God has given me, I choose God's plan for my life. Anybody in the house, choose God's plan for your life. Now, let's, let's take it down and get into the nitty-gritty. I don't know. Is that a Southwest Virginia term, or do we use that around here? I don't know. But I, I realize many times God's plan for my life, God's plan for your life, many times it's birthed, born out of suffering, obstacles, adversity. You say, well, pastor, you were preaching so good before this, and now you're just busting our... Our bubbles. I promise you it's good stuff. But God uses trials. God uses obstacles. God uses suffering. It's very scriptural. And in fact, as children of God, we should never be surprised about an obstacle or a trial or a testing that comes in our lives. It's all through the New Testament. But God brings us through those things and he refines us. He grows us. I am sure, I am certain that I'm preaching to a group this morning that if not everybody, probably most everybody could look at me and say, Pastor Greg, I have been through hard trials, hard times, but when I came out on the other side, God had done something special in my life. And it's an amazing thing that God does. And so this morning, I want us to look at a man named Mordecai. And, and Mordecai was the cousin of Esther, here in this book, I said it incorrectly last week. Uh, Pastor Lawson and I looked at it after church, and he said, I think that Mordecai is actually the cousin of Esther. And so I was wrong. I called him her uncle. But when I looked at that little scripture again, they are cousins of some sort. He kind of took on, he was kind of that type of a cousin that feels more like an uncle because he raised her. But they were actually, actually cousins, so I want to correct that this morning. But Mordecai is such a fascinating character, such a fascinating person that we see such courage in serving God and such humility in his life and such a Christ-likeness from this man Mordecai. Esther 4.14. We used this scripture two weeks ago. This is Mordecai speaking to Esther, telling her that she needs to go before the king and have courage and try to save her people but it was very applicable to how he lived his life as well. He told Esther, he said, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews, but from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. 
Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom. Here's the little phrase I want us to grab again this week. For such a time as this. You and I may look at our lives, we may look at the circumstances of our lives, and we may be frustrated by them, we may be heartbroken by them, we may be perplexed by them. I hope this morning that this scripture and that the Holy Spirit can help us get a new perspective on where we may find ourselves in life this morning. I want to tell somebody in this house this morning, please don't get upset in the tug of war that you find yourself in. God is with you and God is working. I wanna tell someone in this house this morning, don't get bitter. Hear me, please. Don't get bitter in this tug of war that you find yourself in. But it was said in our Thursday morning service the other week, stay sweet in your soul. I used to sing at Christiansburg Church of God when we were young adults. That's where, I, where we went to church when we were first married. And that's where we worked, etc. And I would sing. I would come off the stage, and there was a, a man named Ed Allen sitting about over there. He was about as old as Methuselah, and he would hand me hard candy. And if you know me, I hate hard candy. But he would, if you want to give me candy, give me chocolate. But anyway, I hate hard candy. And he, he handed me... <laughs> He would hand me hard candy and put it in my, in my hand. And I didn't really care for the candy, but I liked what he would say. And as I've gotten older, I've understood it even more. He would say, stay sweet in your soul. And I want to tell us this morning, as Brother Allen would tell me, stay sweet in your soul. This tug of war of life can pull us down. It can pull us through the mud. Picture yourself on that tug of war and sometimes you're like this. Sometimes you're falling and getting drugged through the mud. We feel like that sometimes, but through the Holy Spirit, I tell us this morning, we can stay sweet in our soul. Don't let bitterness grip you. Hold on to God. Hold on to the Holy Spirit. Another thing about this tug of war, don't get upset, don't get bitter, don't retreat, and don't quit. Don't retreat, and don't quit. Hold on to that rope. Hold on to God. Hold on to God's unchanging hand. Don't retreat. Don't quit. You see, child of God, this is your time. I know it is. It's my time. It's your time. God has placed us in this moment and God is working in us and God is working through us and we have to have that confidence. We have to have that confidence. Going back to last week, that confidence from Romans 8, 28, God works all things, all things, what? For our good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Let me add another scripture to that this morning. Galatians 6 and 9. Says this, let us not grow weary in well-doing. Do not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap. One translation says, if we faint not, we will reap if we do not lose heart. You say, Pastor Greg, is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it. Pastor Greg, I'm not seeing any change in my friends. Is it worth sowing the seed of the gospel? Yes, in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You say, Pastor Greg, I'm not seeing any changes in my family. Faint not, don't lose heart. In due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let's look at Mordecai this morning for just a few more moments. 
And I thought of this comparison about Mordecai, selfless versus selfish. We've all known people who were selfless. We've all known people who were selfish. Mordecai was a man who was selfless. He, he was worried about Esther. He was worried about his people. He was not proud and arrogant and exalted in himself. We see a man who had the character that caused him to be winning in this tug of war of life. A man not with, just with character, but a man with courage to do the right thing. More and more, more and more in our society today, we are going to need to have courage and character to do and be the right thing and be the right person. Let's look at a little passage about him. Esther 2, 21 says, In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gates, two of the king's eunuchs, Big Thing and Teresh doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Asasherus. So see, they're plotting against the king, and there they are with Mordecai. Look at verse 22. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both of the rebel rousers, if I could call them that, both of them were hanged on the gallows, and then it was written down in the king's chronicles in the presence of the king. It was recorded in the official record of everything. Mordecai had a choice in this. Mordecai could have been selfish and he could have gone along with this plot. No doubt and gained much wealth, prestige, maybe could have been one of the co-rulers of the kingdom had their plot succeeded. But yet he really put himself at risk, and instead of going along with the little coup, going along with those trying to take out the king, he had character and he had courage and he was selfless. And he went to Esther and he said, Esther, you're the queen. Tell the king what is about to happen. We can save the king's life. And isn't much of our lives as Christians supposed to be centered around caring for other people? As Christians, as Christ followers, aren't we supposed to have a mindset of looking after each other and caring for others and not so much a selfish mentality? Isn't that the way we're supposed to be? Does that always get recognized? Does that always get rewarded? Does that always cause us to be promoted? In this case, we have a hero Mordecai was a hero. He was written down in the chronicles of the king's book, a hero, but yet he went unrewarded. And you may look at me today and you say, Pastor Greg, I know there's been times in my life I took a stand for Christ. I did the right thing. It even cost me something. Sometimes doing the right thing will cost us. And you may look at me and you say, Pastor Greg, I don't feel like I ever was rewarded for that. I don't feel like God ever blessed me for that. Can I promise you God keeps a record? And can I promise you, God will always reward us for doing the right thing. And God's delay, get this, God's delayed reward is much better than the enemy's immediate satisfaction. Mordecai could have had immediate satisfaction. He could have gone along with the crowd, overthrew the king, and had immediate wealth, immediate power. But God's delayed reward is always better than the enemy's 
immediate satisfaction. This is so applicable. Young people, the world, your friends, and those around you, the peer pressure will say, do this, be a part of the crowd, try this, experiment with that. But that immediate pleasure will lead us into a sinful life. You may have to have character and courage and say, I'm not going along with that. You may feel lonely at times. You may feel excluded at times. You may think, God, is there any reward to this? God's delayed reward is much better than the immediate satisfaction of this world. Mordecai shows us that. Let's look at something else. Commitment versus compromise. Mordecai was a man who was fully committed. He was committed even when his enemy got promoted. There was a man, Haman, who was out to get all of them, all of the Jewish people. We won't get into all of this about Haman, but there was a really a family feud in essence. Uh, Haman's ancestors were stark enemies of God's people, and it started back in Exodus, but we won't get into all that this morning. But at any rate, this man, Haman, evil Haman, wicked Haman, gets promoted to the number two guy in the whole kingdom. Now, boy, that'll preach. Have you ever been on the workplace and it seems like the person that's undermining everybody else, the person that you know in your heart doesn't have good character, but for some reason the boss likes them and they get the promotion. Anybody else ever seen that? And you think, what in the world? What in the world? And, and, and Mordecai must have at least gone through his mind and thought, I saved the king's life. But now my enemy and the enemy who really hates my whole people, the whole Jewish race, he has been promoted. What in the world? But Haman chose to stay committed to God and not to compromise. Sometimes we can compromise by taking things into our own hands. We can compromise by trying to seek revenge ourselves. We can compromise our integrity. But godly integrity is still very important. You might find yourself in a situation where, where somebody has been promoted, someone you're working with, something in your family, whatever it might be. Keep your godly integrity. God's gonna take care of it. God's gonna take care of you. Don't compromise. And you say, well, will there ever be a reckoning? Will there ever be a time of, of God putting things together? There will be. We see, go to the next slide, there is gonna be a reward for those who keep their integrity, for those who keep their character, for those who keep their godly courage. There will be a time of rewarding. We see in the story of Esther, it's so dramatic. I hope you've read the book. Um, Donnie Herring told me that I wasn't a teacher anymore and I wasn't allowed to give homework. Uh, so don't tell him that I'm giving you homework. But if you, if you haven't read the book of Esther, I hope you have. There's such a plot twist. There's such a, a, a storyline there. But we see this evil Haman basically working for the king and the king finds out, finally, about what Mordecai did. The king had a sleepless night. Anybody ever had a sleepless night? Miserable. And the king said, bring to me the chronicles 
of the king, the history of the kingdom, and read it to me. And I would imagine that that would have sounded something like E-I-E-I-O, blah, 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 blah. And that's probably why he asked for it. He was hoping that it would bore him to sleep. I was going to say bore him to death, but I don't think he wanted to go that far, but bore him to sleep. So they brought in the Chronicles and they started reading to the king during this God-orchestrated sleepless night. And he finds out this guy Mordecai saved his life. And he said, what did the king do for Mordecai? Remember, the hero had gone unrewarded. He said, what did I do for Mordecai? They said, you didn't do anything for Mordecai. So he brings in Haman, and he goes through this, Haman, what should the king do for the person that he wants to honor Well, Haman, being big-headed and prideful, thinks that he wants to honor him. So Haman gives this elaborate list of things that they should do to honor who the king desires. Haman had a little plot twist right there when the king looked at him and said, okay, go get Mordecai and do all those things for him. God has a way of turning the tables, doesn't he? It may come because somebody had a sleepless night somewhere. And all of a sudden, they realize something about you, and they want to make it right, and they want to do something for you. But one way or the other, God will always set things right. God will always cause our enemies, our adversaries, to regret if we keep our integrity and we keep our hands out of it. Is that good? Look, uh, do I have a scripture to back that up? Thank you for asking. I do. Romans twelve nineteen. Romans twelve nineteen. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Don't try to get revenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. Now, boy, that's, that's not easy. It's not easy, is it? We want to wring their necks. We want to get them. We don't want to give place to wrath. We don't want to step back and say, okay, I don't like how they're treating me. I don't like this situation. I'm going to stomp and snort and bang my hand on the, on the desk and I'm going to make it right. But the scripture says, don't try to get revenge yourself. Step back, give place to wrath. Let it happen. Let it happen. For it is written, vengeance or revenge is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. God's got your back. God's got your back. In this dog-eat-dog world, in this step-on-anybody world, in this I'm going to take up for myself and I'm going to get them, they're against me, world mindset, no. Give place to wrath. Let God work. God will repay. God will take care of it. He promises that. We see as we go along, not only did Haman hate them, you remember the story, He built gallows and he wanted to kill Mordecai and all the Jews. And he even tricked the king into making a decree to kill all of the Jews. That's where Esther came in. We're gonna talk about her part and that part of the story next Sunday. But that's where she came in for such a time as this. And she told the king basically, and we'll get in more details next week, but she told the king There's somebody trying to kill me because I'm a Jew too, king, and all of my people. And the king said, who is this? Who is this? 
She said, it's evil Haman. Evil Haman. Haman was there with them at the dinner party when she told him. Haman got so, so upset and so distraught, he fell over on top of the queen and starts trying to beg for his life. Well, that just caused the king to get that much more furious. He said, you're gonna try to kill my wife and everybody else, and then you're gonna come in here and make a pass at her. <laughs> Not good for evil Haman. The ending for those who are trying to destroy God's people is not a, a good ending. And it said, as those words were coming out of their mouths, as that was happening, the hood came up across evil Haman's head, meaning they were covering his, his head. It was a tradition that if the king was gonna execute somebody, he wasn't gonna look at their face. They were taking him, and the Bible said, Haman was hanged on the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. It's amazing, but somehow God turns things all around for good, for the righteous. And the very thing that the enemy is trying to destroy you with, destroy me with, kill us with even, God can use it and he'll use it to destroy the enemy and destroy the adversary. You say, Pastor, you have any more scripture for that? Yes, I do. Thank you again for asking. Psalm 57 and 6. I've always loved this, this passage and especially a little part within it. It said, they have prepared a net for my steps. Basically, they're trying to trap me. A net, you know, you're walking and the net comes up and pulls you up, trying to trap me. My soul is bowed down. They have dug a pit before me. But I like this part. Into the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. I want the things that are coming against my life to fall in the pit and fall into their own trap. And one day, theologically speaking, the enemy of our very soul, Satan, he's going to fall into a great pit. Actually, he's going to be cast into a great pit. God's going to take care of everything. He's going to take care of his people. And I, I didn't know that they were going to sing that little song this morning about being pushed down by the weight of his mercy. But I see it right here when he said, the psalmist said, my soul is bowed down and pushed down. But my soul doesn't have to be bowed down because of the, the net of the adversary or the pit of the adversary. But my soul can be bowed down from the strength and the power of the greatness of the mercy and the grace of God that is coming upon me and taking me through the trial. Isn't that a beautiful thought? I have the reward of his presence I don't have to live, we had on the screen there, reward versus regret. I don't have to live a life full of regret. I can live in the rewards of the presence of God that has taken me through and keeping me and then giving me the victory that God has for my life. I don't wanna slip up and let the, the things of life cause me to get over here and make bad decisions and get bitter and get angry and get vengeful and then have regret. I promise you this every time in my life that I have lost my cool, a little bit later I have regret. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Anytime in my life that I have lost my bearings and let my feet slip and, and the trial that I was going through or the obstacle and I have sinned or I have made decisions that weren't godly and I've slipped over here, what, do, what have I had? I've had regret. 
We all know about it, don't we? I don't want to live in the regret. I want to live in the reward. And finally, in closing this, let's have courage to be on God's side. Mordecai had courage to stand up for his people. Mordecai had courage to live for God. Things didn't always go the way he wanted. He didn't understand the process. He didn't have the luxury. You and I have the luxury of reading all of Esther and we see how well it turned out for him. He was even promoted to where Haman was. Haman got hanged and Mordecai was promoted to second in the kingdom. It was kind of like Daniel, kind of like Joseph. We see that pattern in so many Old Testament or in those Old Testament figures' lives. He had courage to keep his character. He had courage to keep his integrity. He had courage to keep his heart. And may we take that same courage that Mordecai had as we're in this tug of war of life. I don't want to be pulled over here to the temporal rewards and the temporal pleasures and the temporal satisfactions of this world. I want to be pulled over here and focus on the eternal rewards and the eternal benefits that come from living for God. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this, and I think it can be very applicable to living our lives as Christians and, and sowing eternal seeds into our lives and our family's lives and those around us. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I wanna have courage to live for God in a bountiful, confident way. And before I give our prayer points this morning, if I could go back to that little illustration of the tug of war a little bit. I don't wanna go too far with this because let me say first and foremost, each of us as individuals are responsible for our own relationship with Christ, amen? But each of us as individuals do carry great influence on others and especially our family members and especially different ones that God has put into the patterns of our lives. And so with that said, I give this little illustration of, of this tug of war. If, if I'm on this tug of war rope and I flop, if I do like my dog does, he comes up right against me and I start petting him and I start feeling him, he's just falling. And then he flops. He wants he want you to rub him. He's just a flop. If I'm on that tug of war and I just start to flop, what does that do to the people behind me that are counting on me to tug that rope? Is that all right this morning? Now, I know they're responsible for their own relationship with Christ, but I want to be in there tugging and pulling as hard as I can for them. How about you? I wanna put my feet in firm as I can. I wanna pull that rope as hard as I can because there are other people who are counting on me. There are other people who are counting on you. Don't flop. Don't be a flopper. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a flopper. I don't wanna flop. I don't wanna falter. I don't wanna let loose of the rope. I wanna pull as hard as I can. I wanna fight as hard as I can for my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. How about you? 
I want to be in the tug of war. I want to sow bountifully so that one day eternally I will reap bountifully. So here's our prayer points this morning. Here's what I want us to pray together today. I want us to pray three things and then they're going to sing the final song for us. I want us to pray that we will invest in others as Christians, that we'll invest in others. I want us to pray that we'll speak out at the right times. Sometimes it's better to just be Christ, right? And then there's times when we need to speak out and the Holy Spirit can give us discernment. But I want us to pray that we'll invest in others. I want us to pray that we'll speak out in a timely way. And I want us to pray that we'll live it out, that we'll be who Christ has called us to be. Invest in others, speak out, live it out. Be who Christ wants us to be. Be courageous for Christ. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And let's just pray that prayer of surrender to him right now and ask him to give us the courage to be who he has called us to be. God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the example of Mordecai. And God, give us that godly character. God, keep us sweet in our souls. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, practically speaking, to invest in others. I pray, God, that you would help us to speak out in a timely way, at the right times, in the right way. And God, help us to live out our faith. Help us to be who we are in Christ. And God, don't let us ever, as you touched my heart with this little phrase this week, and as I've pondered it this week, God, there's something so powerful many times about us just being who we are in Christ. Just being who we are in Christ and being present in people's lives and being who we are in Christ. Don't let us ever underestimate what an impact that that has to those around us. God, help us invest in others. Speak out. Live it out. Make us courageous for the cause of Christ. And Lord, I pray for each one under the sound of my voice, those watching online, those here in the sanctuary who may find themselves in times of trial, adversity, struggle, questioning, problems. God, encourage them to know, encourage them by the story of Mordecai to know that you are indeed working all things to our good. And God, we put our trust in you this morning. We put our faith in you this morning. You are sovereign, you are in control. And oh, how you love us. Oh, how you love us. And oh, how we are bent down, bowed down, pushed down. We are not pushed down by the trials. We are bowed down under the presence of your grace and of your mercy. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is with us, who guides us, who gives us power, who gives us direction, who comforts us. And I pray the Holy Spirit would do his work in each individual's heart and life this morning and before they leave these grounds today that they will know that you love them and you are with them and you're taking care of them and their families. In Jesus' name, amen.